Hey folks, this is Chuck and welcome to this week's SYSK Selects Edition, How Beer Works. Uh, not a long intro for this one, it's How Beer Works. So that was my pick. Why not rerun this one, right? Enjoy. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast, Bottoms Up, etc. Take off your shirt. <laughs> Is that what beer equates to in your book? Take off your shirt? <laughs> uh, well, I take off my shirt when I drink too much beer. Oh, do you? Yeah. Loosen the old belt, take off the shirt. <laughs> yeah. Close the blinds. Mm-hmm. Neighbors don't want to see that. Uh, I want to point out, no they don't, uh, <laughs> that um, guest producer Maddie today, just a little serendip. He is brewing his first batch of beer. Yeah. Right now. Yes. And he was like, man, it's not like just preparing food. He said, this is, you know, it's like serious chemistry going on. Yeah. Because I think he's he's shooting for the stars here. He's not starting out uh, with an easy brew. I think, no, you know, as you know, Maddie, he's not one to uh, just dive into something lightly. He goes oh, no. Full bore. Yeah. So you, you should see how yeah. um, how he got into Zeitgeist. <laughs> Yeah, something. <laughs> I think he's. I think he's brewing a porter. Is that right, Matt? Stout. Stout. But stouts and porters, as we I learned, have been very much uh, mixed throughout the years. So. Which came first? Uh, I believe porters, and yes, they were yeah. named after river porters. Yeah, because that's what they like to drink in London. The river porters. Allen River porters. These dark, darker beers. Yeah, yeah. Although. They'll kind of take what they can get. Yeah, that is one fact of about a thousand that you're about to to hear. So, also, I want to mention Ayumi's and my friend Stuart is in a band called Superhuman Happiness, and one of his bandmates is making his first beer right now. I believe it's his first, and they're calling it Superhuman Hoppiness. Nice. Where are they? Uh, Out in New York, out of Brooklyn. Of course they are. Yeah. So, Stuart has promised to save a six-pack. Great. I'm pretty psyched about it. Is their music good? Oh yeah, they're really good. He's uh he's very good. He's in um he's one of the founding members of Antibolus. Have you heard of them? No. Do you know that um show Fela? No. The Fela it was on Broadway. It's a musical about Fela Kuti, the uh, Nigerian Afrobeat. The one that you originator. went to? Yes. Yeah, I, I knew about it. Oh, okay, that guy. He arranged that. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. He's good, man. Okay. He uh when we out. saw him with um uh not Bonnie Prince Billy, the other guy. Yeah, you hate Bonnie Prince Billy. I don't hate him. <laughs> What's the other guy? The other guy Sam that's Beam, not Bonnie. Iron and Wine. <laughs> oh, yeah, Sam Beam. Yeah, he played with him Oh, cool. when they came through last I like time. those guys, too. Yeah. So do you want to talk about beer ever? Yeah, seriously. we got a lot to cover. We shouldn't have wasted that minute of your lives. Sorry, everyone. So um, what Stuart and Matt are engaged in is a millennia-long tradition of brewing beer. Yeah, COA first, really quickly. You must be 21 to drink alcohol. Oh, yeah, and, and don't don't really take off your shirt. And drink responsibly. So we're certainly not encouraging anyone to go out and uh, un- that's underage to get the delicious, delicious beer and drink it. All right, so as old as, as since people could walk around, it seems like, yeah. they wanted to start brewing beer. Well... It's as old as civilization is what they think. Yeah. So not, you know, since they could walk around. But since they discovered that moldy bread did funny things. Yeah. And they think that it's possible that it was um, a tr- an accident. Uh, some piece of bread got wet and um, 
inadvertently fermented like all of the all, everything was there just right and i guess back then they didn't waste anything so they probably were like oh let me drink this nasty thing or everything was new and they're like what does this taste like <laughs> what will this do to me exactly they had tried um magic mushrooms before and were like i will eat anything now yeah you never know what you're gonna get <laughs> right. they were still figuring things out they're in the figuring things out phase right um so yeah it's possible it was a piece of bread it could have just been a piece of grain or something because there's a, a school of thought that we have bread as a, a because we have beer. Yeah, I love that theory. Because they figured out that you could bake bread and and easily mash make a mash out of bread. Yeah. and water um to produce beer and that this was all very portable and anybody could kind of keep some bread in their home. Yeah. So it's possible we have we have bread because of beer. I love that theory. Um but the the point is is that yeah, bread uh, beer is as old as civilization because one of the first grains, one of the first things we did was domesticate grain, and yeah. you need grain to make beer, and we figured it out pretty quickly. But the oldest record of brewing uh, is, I think, six thousand years old in Sumer. Yeah, ancient Sumerians have a seal um, that was uh, had a hymn on it, uh, the hymn to Ninkasi, yeah. the goddess of brewing. Yeah, and the hymn not only was a hymn, but it was a hymn about uh, making beer. It was a recipe for beer. Yeah. And it wasn't like use one chord of, <laughs> but it was, it was very broad. Um, the, the recipe, have you read it? Uh, no. There's, I think Dogfish Head Brewery remade it using that recipe. Yeah, I've got one of theirs. They remade this ancient Chinese thing too. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's the same thing. No, it's very much, it's more in the tradition of wine or brandy than beer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this, this one, this hymn to Ninkazi is definitely beer for sure. Um, and that just kind of kicked everything off just right out of the gate. Yeah. The earliest reports, uh, were that beer would make you feel exhilarated, wonderful, and blissful. Right. And so people were like, how do I get my hands on this stuff? Yeah. And they figured out very quickly how you got your hands on this stuff, Chuck, because beer came about at a period of transition to um, agrarian societies, from nomadic hunter-gatherer societies yeah. to agrarian societies. And there is another school of thought that not only do we have um, bread, because beer, beer to thank for bread, uh-huh. but civilization itself. Yeah. That civilization, w- that beer attracted nomadic groups to civilization because that's who had the beer. Right. That's how you got the beer. You so, domesticated grain and you made it. Yeah, and this hut over here, they're really good at making beer, so let's live near them. Right. And then encircle that hut, right. and then that circle grows, and yeah. all of a sudden everyone's just sitting around getting drunk. Exactly. And then somebody's got a surplus grain, so they're in charge, and um, people end up doing work, and religious groups start up. But that's uh, this is kind of um, immortalized in the Epic of Gilgamesh. Yeah. Enkidu, the wild man who represents the hunter-gatherer tribes, the nomads, yeah. um, is given beer because it is the custom of uh, the city. Yeah, the civilized people. And he drinks like eight glasses of it. And while he's drunk, he washes himself and became a human being. Just like that. So he he moves from the wild into civilization via beer. Fast forward a little bit to Babylonia or Babylon. Yeah. <laughs> I and, I got to get out of Babylon, man. Yeah, they had um, they had twenty different types of beer, and I believe they even invented the can that turns blue when it's cold. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. That was priceless. Is that Babylon? 
I think it was. Okay. Um, there's also a, a question I could not find def- a definitive answer for, but supposedly the Babylonians took brewing so seriously yeah. that if you made a bad batch or tried to sell a bad batch, right. your punishment was to be drowned in it. Yeah. I wonder if that's true. I found it all over the place, but it was everybody, nobody had a good definitive source. So yeah. I present it as a rumor. Uh, early beer, Josh, was uh, unfiltered, cloudy, had chunks of junk in it yep. and residue, so they would actually drink it through a straw, sort of as a filter, Yeah. Um, so they wouldn't get the stuff in their mouth. It was really bitter. Um, Hammurabi, very important lawmaker back in the day. Yeah, where did we just talk about him in the eye for an eye code? <sighs> I can't remember. It was, was it Noah's Ark? Maybe? I don't remember. I don't know. But yeah, he's the guy who came up with the eye for an eye. It's like one of the earliest set of laws. And a beer for a priest. No, well, as it turns out, actually five, beer. five beers for a priest. Right. Well, five liters. Yeah, that's right. A day. Yeah, that was his beer ration. That was one of the first laws that he established. Um, a normal worker got two liters, civil servants three, and then administrators and the high priest five liters a day. Now that is what I call a social contract. Yeah. That's that's worth sticking around for. Seriously. Um, so, yeah, Hammurabi's wasted. Then um, we're going to fast forward a little more. The Egyptians keep it going. Yeah. Um, they had their own hieroglyph. They did. For Brewer. And then everything comes very, very close to being disrupt- disrupted forever um, with the arrival of the Greeks and the Romans because they drove Volvos. <laughs> and listen to NPR. Yes. And all they cared about was wine. Yeah. To to the Romans, especially, uh, beer was barbarian drink. Yeah. Like you only drank beer in the most the remotest outposts of the Roman Empire. Um, That's carried over when you to couldn't today. Get I think, wine to a certain degree, don't you think? Sure. Yeah. I mean, wine's very big around Greece, but so is well, Greek beer. No, but I'm I'm talking about period all over the world, like. You know, you generally think of wine as being high society and the construction worker kicks back with a, with a Coors Light. Can't we all just drink both? Yes. Maybe even mix together. No. Okay. That'd be gross. Um, but yes, I agree with that, that point of view. I think it does kind of carry on today and I guess that's where it finds its roots. Yeah. The snobby Greeks. Interesting. And Romans. Um, luckily, there was a remote outpost of the Roman Empire that was like, I don't care what you say, man. We're making beer. We're going to dedicate our society to yeah. making beer. Of course. And today we call those people the Germans. Yes. God bless them. Yeah. And their efforts. Uh, back then they were called uh, Teutons. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tacitus uh, wrote about the ancient Germans and said, uh, to drink, the Teutons have a horrible brew fermented from barley or wheat, a brew which has only a very far removed Similarity to wine. The only thing that it had in common was that it, it, you drink it and it messes you up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Aside from that, it was, uh, couldn't be any more different. Right. And the Germans have been making, uh, beer since at least 800 BC. That's the earliest record we have of beer drinking in Germany. Crazy. Um, and I don't know if it, it probably spread from the Teutons to the rest of Northern Europe. Yeah. Um, but you see beer pop up in very ancient um, Northern European texts, like the Finnish saga, the Kalevala. Yeah, Kalevala. Mm-hmm. There, ha- there are four hundred verses dedicated to beer, 
200 verses dedicated to the creation of the earth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, 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 that's a society that takes its beer seriously. Yeah, and the uh, Nordic, uh, I kind of thought this was cool, the Nordic epic uh, Edda, wine was for the gods, beer was for mortals, and mead for the inhabitants of the realm of the dead. Yeah. You ever had mead? Uh, no, I never have. It's like honey based, right? Fermented honey? Yeah, it's like honey water, fermented honey water. It's, uh. It doesn't sound that good. I, I had a, some hippie in, uh, in Virginia give me some mead one time that he had made. Yeah, you took mead from a hippie? I did. Stayed with him one night. It was one of those deals. Yeah. Going through town. Oh, okay. Nah, he just, a friend hooked us up did, for a place to stay. Did you have a bindle? No, he did though. <laughs> and he, he had, even had a house. He had homemade mead. It was gross. Was it? It wasn't very good. I didn't care for it. Yeah. I'm sure it's an acquired taste. Um, so yeah, mead kind of falls off here, right? Yeah. Um, except for hippies in Virginia. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, wine kind of stuck in the Mediterranean, but beer just continued to spread and take hold. Yeah. Like barley. I mean, of course, wine spread itself as well. I and mean, we have it in France and California and everything, sure. but, but around this time it was, fairly localized to the Mediterranean area. Um, and as, as we enter the medieval age, um, the dark ages first and then medieval times, um, the, uh, monks, Christian monks got really, really good at brewing. Yeah. Um, and the reason they took it up was because this was a place of like science and agriculture. uh, An abbey was, and, um, could also support their abbey. Exactly. Which is, now, what Trappist monks are? Mm-hmm. If you if you drink Trappist ale and it says brewed by Trappist monks, this is a tradition that's well over a thousand years old. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Monks supporting themselves by doing something for the community, and some of them brew beer. God uh, bless them. <laughs> Another tradition, which is rampant sexism, uh, took place when uh, women uh, were the ones that brewed beer in the medieval times, and not only that, but they said. Mm-hmm. We want only hot women brewing our beer. Well, it was so important that only beautiful women could brew beer. But can you believe that? Way back then, they were like, no, no, no. I don't want no ugly chicks making my beer. <laughs> like, can you believe that? That's totally, like yeah. the earliest form of, of sexism I can think of. I'll bet it goes back further than that. Well, sure. But there's a feminist twist to it later on. Well, because they got really good at making it. Yeah, people who were women who were, um, you know, well known. Like, as if you were a medieval wife, um, one of the things you did was brew, mm-hmm. right? Um, and if you were good at it, eventually your family may come to bear the name Brewer or Brewster. That's where your name comes from. Exactly. It's pretty. It cool. means that you have an, a female ancestor who landed your family a surname through her brewing skills. That is feminism. Yeah. You ask me. It might have been the St. Pauli girl herself. Maybe so. <laughs> Do you think she's a feminist icon? I don't think so. So where are we, Chuck? Uh, we are in the 15th century, and something pretty cool happened in uh, Germany. Um, and to me, this is the fact of the show, just because I did not know this. The uh, Reinheitsgebot of 1516 was a beer purity law. Basically said you can only make beer out of four things, uh, water, malted barley, malted wheat, and hops. So that is wrong. That is not right? It's three things. I don't know where this source got the fourth, the, the four ingredients, but there's water, barley, and hops are the only three things you can put in beer. Okay, wheat wasn't included at yeah. first. Okay. Right. Regardless, this is still the fact of the show. <laughs> the uh, Reinheitsgebot is the oldest non-religious legal standard of food production 
and the oldest consumer protection law on the planet yeah. was beer because yeah. of beer. It's fifteen sixteen. That is crazy, and it's still around. It is. It's still in force today. Yeah. Like, don't try to make a beer in Bavaria using anything but those three ingredients. Yeah, you make beer in Bavaria with corn and rice, you got a one-way ticket on the uh, the bullet train out of town. Right. Or you'll get caned publicly. <laughs> That's right. Um, and there are a couple of reasons why this law was passed. One, people used to put crazy, crazy stuff in beer. Yeah. Like um, hallucinogenic roots or poisonous roots that could make you do crazy stuff like hemlock and things like that um so it was for it was a purity law it was also to control prices if you read the purity law it's like you can't sell a beer for more than this yeah and then thirdly also is to make sure that um important grains like wheat got diverted to important things like food yeah they didn't want people going crazy like using wheat, which is why you why that wheat was wrong. It's barley, gotcha, water, and hops. But wheat beer obviously came along, and rye beer later on. Right. So let's go to America, man. USA, beer's, Virginia again. Yeah, beer's been around in the U.S. since before the U.S. was around. Maybe it was that hippie. Maybe he was a descendant of the original <laughs> brewers of beer in the U.S. Maybe. Who knows? So in 1587, by this time, colonists are already making beer flagrantly ignoring the Reinheitsgebot yeah. by using corn. They realized very quickly that this makes a terrible beer. I bet it was gross. And uh, in 1609, the first ads appear in London newspapers asking for brewers to move to the Virginia colony. Right. They need some beer yeah. over there in the New World. Bad. And uh, in 1612, the first brewery set up in New Amsterdam uh, by Adrian Block and Hans Christian Andersen. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, Hans Christensen. And uh, I thought this was interesting, too. Same place where the first, well, it says the first non-Native American, but I guess it's the first American was no, born there. No, because America wasn't there yet. This is New Amsterdam. This oh. is a Dutch colony. So it's the first, the first sure. non-Native American born in North America. Right. Who that wasn't, sense. Yeah. Who wasn't like of uh, an indigenous group. Uh, which was uh, Jean Vigny. Vigny. <laughs> And he became a brewer. Yeah, he was born in the first brewery. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, he kind of had to become a brewer under those circumstances, didn't he? Well, and America just had to become a nation of beer lovers because of this, I think. Yeah, and boy, did we love it. So, like, researching this and other researches I've done, America used to be a ten times more an awesome place. <laughs> I can't remember what what episode it was. It may have been Prohibition, where we were talking about, like, if you look at lists of things served at like colonial funerals or weddings or whatever, yeah, it'd be like five five kegs of rum and right. fifty kegs of beer and all that. But there's only like sixty people there. Yeah, yeah. It's and then crazy. the fact that the word cocktail um, referred to a drink that you drink in the morning, and that the old the whiskey old fashioned mm-hmm. was the original cocktail. Right. Um, yeah, we used to drink a lot more in this country. So like in 18, what is it, 73? Yes. We, we hit our peak number of breweries, 4,131 breweries, supplying a population of just 50 million people. Yeah. Our peak back then, of course. Yeah. Because now there's a renaissance. There is. Of a craft brewing, and now there are more breweries than since the 1800s. That's awesome. Um, I did a little research on craft brewing and in the, in the 1970s, there were only 40 consolidated breweries in the U.S. 
and experts thought that that number would fall to as little as five. Wow. And it was all this uh, homogeneous light lager that Americans grew to love in World War II. Yeah, because Prohibition hit, and there's like a beer evolutionary bottleneck. Yeah, like, you couldn't survive unless you were one of the big, big ones. Right, and you had to do, you had to make other things, sure. including non-alcoholic beer. But so you come out, and there's just a few breweries operating, right? Yes. And um, then World War II hits, and that caused the other reason that beer became homogenous in the United States. Men went off to war. Women became the market for brewers mm-hmm. for beer. And they um, preferred a lighter style beer. Sure. So in America, almost for decades after World War II, the only beer you could find pretty much was that um, American style Pilsner lager. Yeah, it was like this through the 1970s. Uh, and then 1980, I'm sorry, 1976, the first uh, craft brewery, the uh, new Albi- Albion Brewery in Sonoma, California opened. Mm-hmm. And they were like, we want to start making some good old beer again, like some ales and some ambers and some stouts. Uh, they were only open about six years, but they inspired hundreds of others to take it up. That's and awesome. that's generally looked back as the, the new renaissance uh, started in 76. That's great. So uh, in 1980, there were eight craft breweries. In 1994, there were 537. And in 2010, there were 1,600. That's beautiful. And I think over 1900 in 2011. So they went from literally almost being extinct. Yeah. Like 20 something years ago. Yeah. Or 30 years ago to like booming, big time booming. But that's still half of that 1870s number. Uh, 1900. So yeah, you're right. Half. But that's the highest level since that time. But consider that. Think about how much beer is in this country right now. You've got 1900 breweries. Yeah, plus. Supplying 300 million people. Back then, we had 4,100 breweries supplying 50 million. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, and let's not kid ourselves. I think the craft brewers are supplying about 4% by volume mm-hmm. and about 6% by by dollars. And the three, you know, Miller, Anheuser-Busch, and uh, Coors are the three big daddies. I preferred to fool myself in this circumstance. Yeah. But you are right. I mean, there's a renaissance going on. Sure. Um, so let's talk about what these people are doing during this renaissance. You want to talk about how beer is made? Yeah, and I've never done it, surprisingly. I never have either. But I'm going to. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, bring me some, will you? This has inspired me. I just need to collect friends who brew their own beer so I don't have to do it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, barley, water, uh, hops, and yeast are the basic four ingredients. Mm-hmm. And the um, I like how you put this. The whole idea is to extract sugars from the grains, usually barley. Yeast eats it up, and it poops out alcohol and CO2. Yep. And that's beer. Yeah. It's that simple. And you've just described two steps. There's two big categories of this process. There's brewing, yeah, and then there's fermenting. And the brewing part is pretty simple. It's taking um, malted barley or mal- a malted grain, which is like dried and cracked and um, heated so that the sugars start to come out a little more. Yeah. Um, I guess caramelized is another way to put it. And then you take that and you uh, steep it in a basically a tea. And the tea that you've just made is called wort. Yeah, and that's called mashing, right? Yeah. So mashing, yes, taking the taking the malted grain and, right. and steeping it. That's mashing. That's right. But it produces a sticky, um, sweet substance, pre-beer, as it were, called wort. Yeah, or I imagine vert. 
in Germany. Probably. Yeah. Uh, and you, uh, you take that wort and your brewing process is done. When you put it in a tank with yeast, you've just started the fermentation process. Yes. And that's where things get groovy. Yeah. Uh, the, you boil the vert for about an hour. Uh, you add the hops and depending on what kind of beer you're going to make is, uh, really going to depend on what kind of hops or yeah. how, how, how much hops. Yeah. We haven't started kind. fermenting yet. I jumped the gun. You have to add the hops with, to the wort. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. We did jump the gun. But Budweiser, let's say, has about eight to twin IBUs, which are uh, international bitterness units. Yeah. That's how you measure hops. Yeah. Are you like hoppy beer? I am a big IPA and, and pale ale. Yeah. Guy. I like beer that's so hoppy it makes me sneeze. Well, that's pretty hoppy. Yeah. Um, a uh, 30, uh, a stout has about 30 to 50 IBUs, and a double IPA or an IPA could have up to 100. Dogfish Head, 120 minute. Has 120 IBUs. Wow, and they I make try that stuff. Well, I like the 60 and the 90. The, the 120 is actually kind of hard to find a lot of times because they don't make a ton of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but interestingly, pale ale. You know where India pale ale comes from? The IPA. India. Well, it does. Uh, uh, British uh, soldiers <clears throat> were stationed over there, and when they started setting up trade with India back in the day, or colonizing it, <laughs> yeah, that's, one, that's one way to put it. Yeah, and they were like, "Boy, we're really thirsty, and we kind of miss our old beer back in England." So they would send over their pale ales, and they wouldn't um, really make the voyage very well, the sea voyage. It would show up flat and kind of gnarly. Mm-hmm. So they added a lot more hops because hops acts as a preservative. Thus, India Pale Ale. Nice. Yeah. Nice. That's the story I got. It's if I'm wrong, story. I'm going to be really embarrassed. No, I think that's a good story. And if I, it's I not, would buy that one. That's it's the kind of story you hear in a bar. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's the story you say in a bar that gets you free beer. <laughs> we should try that. Um, so you've got, you've got the wort that's boiled. Yes. Right? Um, it's all sugary. And um, you add yeast to it and put it in a tank, and now it's fermenting. And like like we said, the the yeast just eats all the sugars and produces carbon dioxide and alcohol as waste products. Yeah. And depending on the kind of beer you make, um, well, it really depends on the kind of yeast you use. Um, you're either going to be waiting around for a few weeks to a couple of months. That's right. So um, if you are making um, something called a uh, an ale you're going to be doing all this you're going to ferment um, using top fermenting yeast at room temperature and then after a few weeks your beer is going to be ready to drink yeah if you are making a lager which in Germany which in German is a verb uh, meaning to store yeah um, you're going to it's going to take a few months um, and you're going to store this stuff. You're going to let it ferment um, at near freezing temperatures, and it's going to ferment at the bottom. The yeast is. Yeah, they would put it in caves. It was called lagering. Yeah, it was to store it in cave, cold caves. Because for those hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years that they were making beer, they kept they kept being like, "This beer is messed up," and it happens to be summertime. What's wrong with this beer? Oh, it's it's also summertime. And then finally, somebody figured out. Wait a minute, we're making the best beer. Yeah. In the winter time, and they didn't quite know why, but they figured out a process to replicate it. But of course, now we understand that um, the wild uh, yeast and bacteria in the area that was prevalent in the summers of Germany mm-hmm. um, was messing up the the fermentation process, souring the beer. 
it's the stuff using yeast that survived in winter months in the cold um, produces really clean, crisp, very awesome beer. A taste of the Rockies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's now called the lager. That's right. Uh, we actually forgot something, too, and I know there's home brewers right now going, you can't forget carbonation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Skipping back a bit, after you after you do have the bottle beer, it's not carbonated yet. It's very flat. Right. So you need to carbonate it. And I imagine the big breweries um, force carbonate like sodas do. Right. And uh, if you are a traditionalist, though, and I wonder about craft breweries. I, I need to know more about this, if they do that or not. Well, I think it usually will say like bottle conditioned. Oh, really? Yeah. So bottle conditioned means it just waits and you wait it out for the yeast to do its thing naturally. Right. And that's where you're going to get your, your foam and your good yeah. bubbly goodness. Because it produces carbon dioxide as a waste product. It takes a while. Waste product? You say waste product. I say bubbly goodness. Okay. Okay. Um, so you want to talk about gravity? <laughs> Uh, yeah, gravity is, um, gravity is how much alcohol is in your beer. Yeah. And, uh, the brewers measure the gravity before and after the fermentation process, and they calculate the difference, uh, in the amount of alcohol by volume and represent it by a percentage. Right. So, like, the higher the percentage, the higher the gravity of the beer. Yeah. And, uh, you know, nowadays with the craft beers, you're going to get all kinds of, uh, percentages, like, you know, Six to nine to ten percent. Right. That's a pretty heavy duty beer. Oh yeah, definitely is. What what is like your average Budweiser? What is that? Five point five. Is it? There was a law in Georgia for a while that was you couldn't sell beer over five point five. Do you remember when they repealed that law? That beautiful time in the nineties. I do remember that actually. That was wow. Yeah, that had a lot to do with craft breweries in Georgia too. Yeah, definitely. Um, Say the stuff about the lambics. So I thought that was really interesting. Oh, okay. Um, so lambics are um, a type of spontaneously fermented brew. I've had it. I didn't know this though. Well, the same problem that the um, old Germans had um, with you know local stuff uh-huh. getting in there. The um, I guess the French when they're producing this these lambics, the Belgians. Um, eh, French. And they're, they're basically just leaving their stuff out to be exposed to wild yeast that yeah. grows in the area. It's crazy. Spontaneous fermentation. And I've had, like I said, I'd tried Lambic in the past and I didn't know what made it so special. That, that was it. I, I don't care for it a whole lot. It's kind of has a sour aftertaste. It's fruity. It's sort of fruity like cider me. almost. Yeah. Not enough hops. Oh no. I like my hops. Yeah. What's your favorite beer actually? I meant to ask you that. So I'm a pretty big fan of um, anything New Amsterdam puts out. Yeah. They're great. Um, Fat Tire is one of the all-time best. Yeah, our friends, we have friends, uh, fans at uh, Brooklyn Brewery. Yeah, and New Amsterdam. Remember, they sent us like a bunch of beer. They were the first ones. They did. Thanks again, guys. Um, yeah, we have fans at Brooklyn Brewery. They sent us beach towels and other swag. They did. Uh, we had a fan who sent us some Shinerbach once, but I don't think he was related to them in any way. I think no, it was just I, from Texas. Yeah, that's a Texas beer, right? Um, my all-time favorite. It just it, it's never been toppled. Like I've had plenty of beer. Where I'm like, this is really good. Like Innocent Gun. Have you ever had that? No. Oh my God! It's like Ambrosia. It's the most amazing thing ever. But you you can't just drink like one after the other if you're in such a mood. It's just it's just a lot. It's very rich. Yeah. But my so my favorite beer that's just. No one's ever toppled it. Is Sierra Nevada Pale Ale? Yeah, I'm right there with you. It's just the best beer I think that any anyone's ever made. It's delicious and nutritious. It's refreshing. <laughs> yeah, I want to go to their brewery. Um, I like the Dogfish Head stuff. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm into trying. You know, we have these stores here in Atlanta now and in, in Decatur where I live. 
with you know all the myriad craft beers. Yeah, and I'll try any kind of uh, any kind of pale ale or IPA. Have you been to Ale? Yeah, I have. That's yeah. is that place any good? Yeah, and they have the growlers there, which is always kind of fun. Yeah, you just get something on tap and drink it out of a jug like an old pirate. And I also have to say, our local boys at Sweetwater are killing it too. Yeah, like there's like as far as pale ales go, Sierra Nevadas. And the 420 yeah. are very, very close. 420 is good. I will always go for that if it's um, if they don't have the CR on the yep. menu. Agreed. And I remember my first beer very distinctly. Do you? Yeah, because I, as everyone that li- listens to the show knows, I was a very good good uh, Baptist boy growing up, so I didn't um, I didn't drink or anything like that until I was older. Right. And I remember the first time I tasted beer, I had only had soda as far as a carbonated beverage. And that's the only thing I could like expect. And I just remember thinking, this is so weird tasting. Yeah. It's like it's fizzy like a soda, but it doesn't taste anything like a soda. And I was like, oh, how do people drink this stuff? Yeah. And then and, like 30 seconds later, you're trying it again. Like, oh, this is how so bad. Drink this Why stuff? can't I stop? I want to stop. Yeah. Um, first beer, huh? I don't remember mine. Yeah, I remember. It was a long gone. I think mine was. <laughs> you were probably younger than I was. I don't remember. I mean, my dad drank like old Milwaukee tall boys, and I'm sure like I tried like a sip of his when I was a kid. Or something. see, we didn't have beer in the house, so right. that's it was just wasn't around. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So where are we, Chuckers? Uh, we could talk about some of the older beers in existence. Yeah. So there's like actual old beer. It's like over a hundred years old. Like the that particular bottle of beer was manufactured like 170, 80 years ago. Yeah. And there's two shipwrecks that had beer on them that ironically are competing for the uh, oldest beer in the world um and they both went down in 1825 wow i know it's maddening um there's one in the baltic sea there was a shipment of beer and champagne from copenhagen to st petersburg that went down in 1825 and then there's a shipwreck in the english channel um in 1825 and a guy named um keith thomas he was a microbiologist i believe um, he got his hands on some of the bottles yeah. of this beer that's still around and um, tried it and was like, he vomited. And he's like, maybe I can figure out some other way to do this. So he got the yeast from this beer and um, got a colony going of still this living yeast. yeast. Same, same yeast. It's, it's not like a descendant of it. Like this is the yeast. And um, he got it going again and, and found like an old porter recipe. And now he makes flag porter, which in and of itself is one of the better beers around. Oh, sure. Oh, I also want to say, I like just about anything Sam Smith does, too. I don't know that. Sam Smith, like Oatmeal Stout and oh, oh, um, yeah, yeah. Winter Welcome. Yeah, yeah, Sammy Smith. Yeah. Sorry, sure. Yeah. They are uh, they had the Shakespeare Stout. Yeah. Wasn't that Sammy Smith? Uh, oh, no, no, no. That's Rogue. Yeah, that's Rogue. Yeah. But I've had the Rogue's Oatmeal Stout. Rogue's Dead Guy Ale is awesome. Yeah. Man. I'm getting thirsty. Uh, Dogfish Head has revived a recipe that... They claim is the, um, and that's what we were talking about earlier, is he, the guy from Dogfish had claims it's the oldest known fermented recipe in the history of man. Yeah. And, uh, it, it was from a, a Neolithic burial site in China. And it is called, they brew it now, it's called Chateau, uh, Jiahu, uh, J-I-H-H, or J-I-A-H-U, from 7000 BC. And they decoded it, uh, molecularly from clay pots. Found at a Neolithic burial site. That's yeah, very cool. And have brewed this stuff. And um, they're also the ones, they get a little crazy. You know, they did the Midas Touch brew. 
yeah. that was supposedly King Midas's um, recipe or yeah. from his tomb. That's so cool. And we had people write in, but I, I love what they're doing over there at Dogfish Head. They also did the the one based on the hymn to Nicancy. The what? The hymn to Nicancy. The oh, Mesopotamian okay. one. Right. Sumerian one. Right. Um, so there's also some brewers that have been around for a while, like Stella Artois. If you look on the label, you'll see that um, it has some mention of 1366. That's a old man. That's when it was. Uh, that's when they started brewing that. That's supposedly. awesome. Delicious um, too. Oh yeah, I good. love a good Stella. Like a nice summertime beer for me. Agreed. Um, August Steiner was um, began in 1328. Yeah. Probably the oldest beer in the world as far as like brewing the recipe um is a uh, weinhenstaufen <laughs> did i get it yeah weihen weihen stefan oh nice <laughs> so th- those are brewed by Benedic- benedictine monks that beer has been brewed since the 700s but the uh weinhenstaufen uh-huh. uh the guys brewing that also operate the oldest um, continuously functioning brewery in the world, which opened its doors in 1040. Wow. And it's been going ever since. That's awesome. It's about to celebrate its thousandth anniversary. That's so cool. Um, what else? Uh, a man named Arthur Guinness in 1756 did a very smart thing uh, by signing a 9,000-year lease on a building in Dublin, and they have been making the old delicious Guinness beer there since yeah. then. Yeah. And I enjoyed uh, at our South by Southwest event at Fado Irish Pub. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed myself some Guinness at that event. Yeah. Love me some Guinness. Is Guinness sponsoring you now? No, none of these people are. But why are you wearing that leather eight ball mm-hmm. jacket with Guinness <laughs> patches all over it? Uh, the Schlitz story I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, I searched the story up because I'd remembered hearing it years oh, really? back, and I was like, "We got to mention that one." So, what was the deal? They they were making good beer for a long time, were one of the top three, and then they changed their recipe in the late seventies and just screwed it all up. Yeah, they wanted to be number one, and they were they were number two, wanted to be number one, so they decided that they were going to. Um, just change it. And they changed it in a really lazy, cost-efficient way. Instead of malt, they used corn syrup, high-fructose corn syrup. That's such a bad idea. And then they didn't filter it as much either. So you had this really weird-tasting, chunky-style beer. And this was in the 70s. Yeah. Uh, what, by 1980... Schlitz's market share was 1%. It went from the number two selling beer in America to within just a couple of years, 1% of the market. Yeah, I think more than one person lost their job on that that move. Oh, yeah. They may have like killed those people. Um, so they discontinued the brand altogether at one point, didn't they? Yeah, it went under. And then Stroh's, which I also remember from my childhood, sure. um, was uh, said, well, you know what? We're going to buy you guys. So they bought Schlitz, and then um, they just bought the label. They're like, we don't want that. You keep your keep all this leftover chunky yeah. beer. Um, but they bought the label and uh, apparently rolled out the classic 60s formula, right. which I have not tried. I have not either. Uh, we do want to shout out to Yingling as well. Um, in 1829, uh, David Yingling opened a brewery in Pennsylvania, in Pottsville. Yeah. And it is still open today, the oldest operating brewery in the United States, still in the Yingling family. Booyah. And uh, their uh, black and tan is very delicious to me. Yeah. And it's a very popular beer. People seek it out. I think one of the reasons why is because it's tradition. Sure. And it's delicious. Yeah. 
And it has cute puppies in their labels and marketing materials. Yeah, and I want to ask Budweiser, if you are the makers of Budweiser and you're listening, bring back the bullet bottles, and you'll thank me later. Do you know who makes um, Budweiser? Anheuser-Busch, right? Uh, you know who owns Anheuser-Busch? Um, InBev. They're a European company. Oh, really? It, as something as American as Budweiser is owned by the Europeans now. Well, Anheuser isn't exactly... <laughs> American, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> Neither is Bush. Uh, but yeah, the bullet bottles, do you remember those? They were short, little stubby Oh, yeah, like bottles. Mickey's bottles. No, those were the barrels. Oh, okay. The, these were bullets. They were uh, short and kind of went up and then just graduated up and they were, I, I guarantee you people would oh, buy those. yeah, the classic Budweiser Phallus bottle. <laughs> Well, Miller High Life came back with their old school bottle. I, I haven't seen. Oh, yes. Yes. I know exactly what you're talking you about. You remember the old bullets? I totally do. Yeah. yeah they were cute. And, uh, I think if Budweiser brought those back, people would really jump on that because it's, you know, everyone likes that old school stuff. Yeah. If you can look like you're in the seventies again. Yeah. Or eighties, eighties, seventies. Yeah. You can send your uh, thanks by check to Chuck. Anheuser Busch, yeah. when the money starts rolling, or just in. a case of the uh, the bullets. So um, this is kind of unusual. We don't usually throw out cool random facts at the end, but there's some cool ones. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, I'm going to start with the London Brewery of 1814. Yeah. So there was a, a hundred thousand gallon tank, fermenting tank, of ale, uh, in London at a brewery, and it exploded. And when it did, it killed eight people and destroyed a pub nearby. It actually killed nine people. The ninth guy died the next day because when these 100,000 gallons of ale flooded the streets, people started drinking it. <laughs> One guy drank so much that he died of alcohol poisoning. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Josh. Yes. According to statistics, the uh, Czech Republic leads the world in beer consumption per capita. I have been there, and I can tell you they love their beer. It's cheaper than their water. I have been there, too, and it is delicious. Uh, over 156 liters per year per person. That's for everyone. Yeah. They, they don't just say, like, 21-year-old, uh, you know, citizens. Right. So that is 439 beers a year, uh, 12 ounces. Right. They're probably 16 ounces over there. Or are they 12? I don't know. I don't know how they broke that down. It's a great idea. So that is 18 cases of beer per person. About a case and a half they a month. They do a 500 centiliter, a half liter. Do they? I think it's like a tall boy can, a big can. Well, I think most of Europe is like that because I remember yeah. being in London for the first time and thinking, man, all you guys have is tall boys. And they're like, what's a tall boy? Right. Oh, wait, that was Australian. That's, that was neither, actually. That's pretty close. <laughs> Matt's in there laughing at my hackneyed attempts. Uh, bass symbol? Yeah, the Red Triangle, famous. It, it was registered as a trademark in 1876. It's the world's oldest trademark. Pretty cool. And the beer stein, yeah, you ever been to cool. Germany? Uh, yeah. The beer garden's there. It's exactly what you think. You're gonna get, you're gonna get a four and a half foot tall German woman with forearms as big as your waist <laughs> carrying like five of those big, huge mugs of beer in each hand. Yeah, that's crazy. And, uh, it was, Exactly what you want if you're going over to your beer garden. I was like, wow, I'm so glad it's like this. And my buddy Brett and I actually had a very fun night in Germany um, drinking with this uh, old fat German dude that didn't speak any English. And I spoke a little bit of German, mm-hmm. but we all loved the Beatles. And we drank with this dude for like three hours 
singing Beatles songs nice. in uh, both English and German. Very nice. And uh, Carl, and I have a picture with this guy still. It was one of my great great memories of traveling abroad. Well, tell him where the beer stein came from. Oh, the beer stein comes from uh, the bubonic plague. Yeah. They were like, we need to put lids on these things so we don't get any disease in there. So they came up with the beer stein. Yeah. And what was it, too? The uh, pottery was... Um, they were there were advancements in ceramics in at the time, right? I think the the money fact is the <laughs> bubonic plague created beer steins. Yeah, so that's it. But I, we I didn't get steins in Germany. You know, it was just a big mug. Gotcha. It's like is you know it, it looks like a half gallon of beer. I'm not sure how much <laughs> right. it is, but I'll bet. it was good dunkley stuff. Nice man, Matt. Did we get anything wrong? He said we're pretty good. That's good enough. I'm sure there, there's some homebrewers that will take us to task, but we did our best. Man, we want to hear about it. Yeah. Do um, you, you have anything else right now? I'm done. Okay, so that's it for beer. You can type beer into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. Remember, as Chuck said at the beginning, don't go out and drink beer if you're not 21. No. Um, in the United States. And drink responsibly. Yes. Don't, don't be a goon. Don't ever drink and drive. It's just dumb. Agreed, Chuck. Good Get a little job. older and you realize that... The commercials are all right. That's just a stupid thing to do. Yeah, agreed. All right. Um, and uh, so that's it for beer right now. Um, I said search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, I think. So it's time for listener mail. That's right, Josh. And you know the other reason why you get a little older and you say drink responsibly is because you do a lot of stupid stuff if you don't. Oh, man. And you'll be the butt of many, many jokes. Even if no one gets hurt, you will, you will act a fool yeah. and end up with like... Toothpaste up your nose because you passed out at a party. That's what happens in your world when you drink too much. Yeah, you know you've seen all people the pictures. put toothpaste. You up pass out at a party and people like draw stuff on your face and take right. pictures of you and put it all over the internet. Plus, you feel cruddy the next morning. Yeah, exactly. See our hangovers podcast for that. Yeah. All right, um, I'm going to call this a pretty cool, interesting email from an attorney about dueling. Uh, guys, I just got done listening to your podcast on duels. Thought you might like to know that I, and I am sure many of your fans, enjoyed the podcast with a twinge of sadness because, alas, I cannot duel. Why? You ask? I am an attorney, and one of the states in which I am licensed is Kentucky. And when an attorney in Kentucky is sworn in, he or she swears an oath. And when I was sworn in, the Commonwealth of Kentucky it contained this additional tidbit. In order to practice in the Commonwealth, I had to swear that I would not participate in any duels. She still has to say this. Isn't that crazy? That's pretty cool. Uh, what's more, as I listen to the podcast, I realize that I've been preparing to duel my whole life. Uh, during college, I worked as a serving wench at Medieval Times, watching Joust each night and twice on Saturdays. Uh, my senior year of college, in order to fulfill my P.E. requirement, I took fencing, uh, which was actually really interesting and more athletic than I expected. So sadly, no matter how much experience uh, we may have, neither I nor my fellow members of the Kentucky Bar come Stuff You Should Know fans can use the information we gleaned from your podcast. Uh, there was talk in the last few years of, uh, years of removing that particular clause from the oath, but as far as I know, newly minted Kentucky attorneys are still required to abstain from dueling. Isn't that nuts? That's, that just seems logical. I think we should add that to just about anything. Like, when you go get your driver's license, you have to check a box that says, I won't duel. Or in your marriage vows. Yeah, there's <laughs> there's just a lot of places where we could insert that. And that is from uh, Rebecca uh, Wright in Cincinnati, Ohio. Really? That's what she signed it as? No, she signed it Cincinnati, but gotcha. I like to say Cincinnati. Yeah. Uh, 
Well, let's see. Oh, if you're a home brewer, we want to hear from you. Um, and by hear from you, we mean <laughs> send us some of your wares. Chuck said that, not me. Um, but he's right. So uh, we want to hear from you via Twitter at SYSK Podcast. We want to hear from you on Facebook at facebook.com slash WSNO. And we want to get emails from you. And you can send those to stuffpodcast at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 